used to preaching sitting down. I'm work, I have trouble teaching sitting down uh, at the university, so I'm probably going to have to figure out a way to, to have a podium or something here. Uh, we are in a uh, series on eschatology, uh, particularly entitled What's Next? Waiting for the Kingdom. And uh, in that series that we did before the Holy Days began, and we will continue through the counting of the Omer and the Sabbaths to Pentecost, uh, we talked about a couple of things. First of all, we talked about the two Christian errors in eschatology or the doctrine of the last things. One is replacement theology, which just pushes Israel off to the margins or out completely. The second one is missing the point of the gospel. A lot of people today have the idea that the purpose of the gospel is to change the world. That's not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to call people out of the world because God's going to take this world out and replace it with the kingdom. And therefore, uh, the gospel really isn't going to change what's going on around. I know in early... Uh, the early spread of Christianity, there was a belief that that's exactly what it was going to do. And that led to this kind of all-millennialism that we'll talk about later in the series. So uh, those two things are important, and I'll mention them as we talk about this. Then there was a creation that existed before, prior to the flood, that was very different. People lived longer. There was a very different dynamic. But this present world since the flood and the Tower of Babel is where God is acting out his creative purpose and this creation is subject to futility Paul says, awaiting the adoption of sons, that is the resurrection and the kingdom to come. Ultimately even this creation will be destroyed by fire and then we'll have a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem and a new humanity. Sometimes said one new man, but it's really a new humanity. Uh, the third thing that we talked about was salvation is from the Jews. Jesus spoke of this with the Samaritan woman. He said, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. The Jews uh, are not the beginning of God's creation here, but they are the enlightenment for it. So at Babel, God created the nations. All the Gentile nations were formed at that point, And we have been kind of walking on our own, creating our own culture, uh, as Paul says, without hope and without God in the world. God then established Israel, both the people and the culture, because remember, he created their culture through the commandments, to be a light to the nations through whom he would bring salvation. Deliverance from this curse, that salvation is not just our individual personal salvation, but it is the restoration of this present creation before it is removed with the new creation. The covenants, therefore, belong to Israel. Paul says, what's the advantage of being a Jew? He says, much in every way. To them was given the covenants and the oracles of God. Uh, so God has uh, given them covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, we'll talk about that one today, and the new covenant that is really made with them. Uh, so he will regather them, he will change their hearts, he will then cause them to be able to obey his commandments, and they will truly be the light to the nations 
in that kind of context. And then last time we spoke on this, right before the Holy Days happened, we talked about the regathering of Israel and the kingdom to come requiring resurrection. The salvation of both Jew and Gentile requires a born-again spirit, a transformation of our mind, and the adoption of sons by the resurrection of our body. So the kingdom can't come in its fullness, that kingdom that we pray for, until we are raised from the dead. Because remember, in that kingdom we will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We can't do that if they're not raised from the dead. And therefore we will all be resurrected. And that's why the second coming and the resurrection is so critical for us to understand. Not just we're dying and going to heaven. There is truth to that. We are with the Lord when we pass away. But we are waiting even in that context for the resurrection from the dead. So today I want to talk about the relationship of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom to come. And this specifically addresses the Davidic kingdom being restored and in some sense expanded. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. This is Luke talking right after the resurrection and he says that for 40 days, and we're in that period now between first fruits, the resurrection, and ascension Thursday that will come 40 days later. Um, and he says that Jesus spoke of them regarding the kingdom. Uh, so, because he's talking to them about the kingdom, the disciples ask a question, and that is found in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, when they were coming together, they were asking, the tense of the Greek here is that they were continuously asking. They, he's talking about the kingdom, and they said, when is it going to come? He talks about the kingdom, is it going to be now? He talks about the kingdom, they, they just keep Pounded him with that. So they said to him, uh, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has placed in his own hand, his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And, he says, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, in this context, the disciples are expecting Jesus to reestablish the kingdom. They think the temple is fine, the way it is. Uh, they're ready for the kingdom to come. That's exactly what had been done at Palm Sunday. When he entered in, they assumed the king of the Jews was coming, but pretty soon the king of the Jews was hanging on a cross with a sign above him mocking that he was the king of the Jews. Now he's raised from the dead, and they're waiting for the kingdom to come. And Jesus says, no, you don't need to know when that's going to happen. Obviously then, it's not going to happen now. What you need to do is you need you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to give testimony to me. And you're going to do that in two places, he says. You're going to do that in Jerusalem. And you're going to do that in Judea and Samaria. Now, he then talks about even to the remote parts of the world. Now, this word, the remote part of the earth, can be translated in two ways. Actually, the word is eschaton. We're using the term eschatology. It's either talking about the furthest reaches of the earth, 
which from Jerusalem would be Southern California. So the gospel will go that far, and of course it has. But it is also easy to translate this, and even more uh, natural to translate this, unto the end of the age. Now if you think about the Great Commission given in Matthew, Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. That would be everywhere. But then he says, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. So it's likely that in the Lord's mind when he says, even to the eschaton, he's not just thinking to the ends of the earth, but to the end of the earth. In other words, to the end of this present age. And so the disciples now are not going to be part of reestablishing the kingdom. That's the Father going to do that. What they're going to do is be witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth and to the end of the age. It's remarkable then that the kingdom is so predominant in the Gospels that the disciples are focused on it and yet Christians today for the most part miss the constant mention of the kingdom in the Gospels. So let me just tell you, if you took the time to look at it, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom to come is mentioned over 50 times in Matthew's Gospel. It's mentioned 15 times in Mark's Gospel, over 40 times in Luke's Gospel, and five specific times in John's Gospel, and that's just the direct statement of the kingdom. If you add beyond that statements about Jesus being the King of the Jews, or the Messiah, or the Chosen One, or any of the things that have that Messianic framework, we would be talking about hundreds of references to the kingdom. The people of Israel thought the Messiah, the Son of David, was going to get Rome off their back, establish the kingdom of God, where Israel would be the And he would rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's why Judaism, for the most part, rejected Jesus. He didn't fulfill the messianic promises. Now, the reason he didn't was he didn't come to be the Messiah in his first coming. The high priest to deal with heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he will return as King Messiah. So they thought there might be two messiahs, the suffering one and the reigning one. They thought they fulfilled that, and so they expected Jesus to do that. Christians now understand that the two comings fulfill those two type of messiah figures. But we're waiting, as Israel is, for the kingdom to come, but we've lost that sense of the kingdom. So I want to remind you of how important that is to the Gospels. So for example, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes and announces to Mary that she's going to give birth, she says, he will be great, and God will give him the throne of his father David. Notice the throne of his father David, not the throne of his father God. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father now, but that's not fulfillment of this prophecy. He has to sit on the throne of David as the son of David. He never did that in the first coming. He's doing that in the second coming. When the Magi show up, their question is, where is he who is king of the Jews? 
in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus talks about the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he doesn't mean the kingdom in heaven. He means the kingdom of heaven when it is on the earth. And blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. He is talking about the time when that kingdom will come. All of the parables say the kingdom will be like this. How shall I liken the kingdom? The kingdom will be like this. Jesus' ministry was focused on repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The idea of the establishment of the restoration of the kingdom with the capital in Jerusalem is all through the scriptures. And yet we kind of lost that in this idea that we get saved and we go to heaven and there's not much else for the earth. It'll just go away. So we need to talk about this. By the way, if you recall the thief on the cross, now, probably was not one of the religious elite. But even the thief on the cross says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He expected, they expected that there would be a resurrection of the dead in the last day when that kingdom was established. They didn't particularly expect that the Messiah would rise from the dead, and that's what threw them off. That became the stumbling block, in some sense, for Israel, and remains a stumbling block even to this day. But even the thief on the crowds expected Jesus to enter into a kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said, but it will be of this creation, right? So that's what we need to look at. So we're going to say, we're going to look at the kingdom, and to do that, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 16. God's going to make his covenant with David. This is that Davidic covenant that the Gospels in the Nativity narratives link Jesus to. Now, verse 8. Now, therefore, you shall say this to my servant David. Thus says the Lord, I took you from a pasture and following the sheep to be the ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and cut off your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name like the names of the great men of the earth. I will appoint also a place for my people Israel and I will plant them and they will live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. When the day, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, so all of this is going to happen after David's dead. Um, He says, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. And Jesus went through that uh, passion. I will... Uh, But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. That's the Davidic covenant. There has to be one who is going to sit on the throne of 
David. And in sitting on the throne of David, he is going to rule over the house of Jacob and over Israel, and he is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now that's important for us to understand. So I want you to look at another passage. It may take you a little while to get there. I want you to look for the book of Amos. And in the book of Amos, I want you to go to the last chapter, um, chapter 9 of Amos. It's near Andy. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 15. So God says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful nation. He's talking about Israel and its rebellion. And I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among the nations. That's the diaspora. As grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake us or confront us. In other words, God is going to shake out the unbelieving and the unfaithful from Israel, but not a kernel of that remnant will be destroyed. Now he says, in that day I will raise up the fallen sukkah, booth, tent of David. I will wall up its breaches, I will raise up its ruins, and I will rebuild it as in days of old. Ezekiel tells us what that looks like. And they shall possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord. That's important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, and the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them, and they will plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their fruit, and I will plant them on their land, and they will not again be uprooted from their land which I have given them says the Lord. Now I want you to catch what Amos says. Amos says that when they come back they will possess the nations who are called by God. Now that's important because that text is actually us. And it's talking about, and the apostles got this, so I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, and you guys know this verse very well, this is when the apostles are trying to figure out what are they going to do with these Gentiles who are coming to the Lord. A group had come to the Lord through Peter, but Paul is bringing all kinds of Gentiles into this faith. And they're trying to figure out what do we do? Do we make Jews out of them? Do we have them circumcised? And do we make them obey all the commandments of the covenant so that they're they're just converts? And Paul says, no, he's saving the nations as he promised. And so in Acts chapter 15, verse 12, we have these words. And the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, who were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James said, brethren, 
listen to me. Simeon has uh, related, uh, Simon has related how God first concerned himself by taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So he says, you know, at Cornelius' house, Simon Peter went and they, God gave them the spirit same as us. So God is calling them as a people for his name. He says, and with these words, the prophets agree. Now he's going to quote Amos. After these things, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will restore its ruins, and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, all the Gentiles, all the nations who are called by my name. So they begin to realize that in this proclamation of the gospel, it's not only about Israel, it's to the Jew first, but it also includes the Greeks. So this is the very text that the apostles used to refer to us Gentiles. As the kingdom is restored, it's going to include the Gentiles, not as a replacement of Israel, but as an extension. It actually says that the Gentiles will be their inheritance. And as we'll see next time, he becomes our peace between the two, Israel and the nations, and brings them together into this new humanity. We have to read the New Testament as expressing a fulfillment of what has been promised. It's not a conclusion to what was put in the Older Testament. The fullness is not yet, and Jesus told his disciples that they would be witnesses to him to all the world and to the end of the age. And this is the purpose of the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of individual salvation, though it includes that, but it's really the gospel of the kingdom. That good news is not personal salvation. It's more than that. It's an announcement that God is about to complete all that he promised to and through Israel. So we have to rethink the gospel. It is the heart of the testimony of Jesus, and it includes the fulfillment of the restoration of the kingdom of God on earth. And I've got one more passage that I want you to look at, and it's one you guys are very familiar with, and I want you to understand that it's talking about the future. It's in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 says this, verses 1 to 5. The word which Isaiah the son of Amoz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days. Here we are at the eschaton. We're at the last days. We're at the end of the age. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. The other prophets talk about this as coming when the Messiah steps foot on the Mount of Olives and the dead are raised. And all the nations will stream to it. Not the Jews. They're already there. All the nations will stream to it. And the people will say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the Torah will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge the nations and render decisions for them according to the Torah and the word of the Lord, and they will 
hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword again. And they will never learn war. This is the peace of God. The shalom of God in the kingdom. The kingdom will have peace and it will be peace between Israel and the nations because the Lord will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And we will seek the Lord and his ways as expressed in the Torah and in the word of God as we brought them out of the ark uh, and we will put them back in in a little bit. These are incredible words. I love it. When I'm with the Messianic Jews and they always sing this song, I always say, that's our song. It's the nations that are coming up singing that. Because the song for Israel is verse 5. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. But that come, let us go to the house of the God of Jacob is our song as Gentiles. So that's really that's really an important thing. So, I want to remind you then what Luke says in Luke 1, verses 31 to 33. Mary is told, that Jesus is going to sit on the throne of his father, David. That Davidic covenant from Second Samuel being fulfilled. He will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom shall have no end. It will go through that entire end of the age. It will never end. And when the kingdom is done, Paul says... Jesus will give everything back to the Father that God may be all in all. We'll talk about that another time. Jesus came the first time to be our great high priest. He became the sacrifice and he applied that blood and became the atonement for Jacob, for Israel, and for the nations. All who would turn to him in humility, deny themselves, and follow him. His kingdom now is waiting for he then, as the high priest ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's got to finish the day of atonement when he returns, purifying the house of God and establishing the kingdom. And we will be raised from the dead to be part of that kingdom. While we wait for the kingdom to come, we need to proclaim that gospel. But what is that gospel? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about next week when we look at what the gospel actually is and how the gospel is directly related to the kingdom. Because the good news is, behold, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and then we'll do a Q&A.